Welcome along to The Pastor's Heart and today a special. In a moment we speak with one of the most influential Christian leaders of the last half century, Philip Jensen. Uh, but first, a word about what's coming up in a busy time for us. We have a stack of interesting guests over the next few weeks. Next week we're talking to Lionel Windsor and the whole subject of Is God Green? Uh, we did the National Church Life Survey in our church and they did not just the adults but the youth as well. And in the youth of our church, they were much more concerned about caring for the environment than caring for the poor. And what does that tell us and how should we think about that? That's next week with Lionel Windsor on The Pastor's Heart. Also coming up, we're talking to Jenny Brown about systems theory and how that helps in resilience in ministry. Richard Koken is going to be with us from the Co-Mission Churches in London. Also, Matthew Sleeman, he's a lecturer at Oak Hill College in London, the theological college there. And also we've got Ed Shaw coming up in a couple of weeks' time. Uh, Same-sex attracted Christian, he's from the livingout.org group in the UK and he's going to be here in Australia speaking for Liberty Ministries, and we're looking forward to that. Now, we'd love it if you could help us get the word out about the pastor's heart. Um, you could share us on social media. You could subscribe. Uh, it would be, be great to subscribe. On the Apple Podcasts, our subscription is bit.ly slash thepastorsapple. On Android, it's bit.ly slash thepastorsandroid. If you wanted to watch us on video... Well, it's bit.ly slash the pastor's YouTube to subscribe. And we'd love it if you could help us um, financially with the pastor's heart. There's four of us who put this together and uh, the other three are paid and uh, we need to raise money for them. And so if you're able to go to bit.ly slash the pastor's Patreon to support us there. Philip Jensen, thanks very much for coming in. It's a pleasure <laughs> to be here always. It's great to have you. Um, former Dean of Sydney, uh, former head of the Ministry Training and Development Department for the Anglican Church in Sydney, Matthias Media, university ministry for a long long time and now two ways ministries what's that <laughs> <laughs> many years ago we, uh, we we developed the two ways uh, mm -hmm. live presentation of the gospel and kind of catechism for Christians and so when I got too old to be a pastor because our system pensions you off at a certain age and when God hadn't finished with me yet I had to do something so I started a new little company called two ways ministries which is a parachurch group aiming to encourage the 18 to 30 year olds to be single-minded in their devotion to Christ and his gospel. Mm -hmm. Okay, I want to talk to you about the cultural change over the last 50 years. And so I wanted to kind of give us some order. Let's go back to the 1960s and the first, well, the death of cultural Christianity and well, the death throes of cultural Christianity in the 1960s. Well, we didn't know it at the time. Mm -hmm. is one of the great things uh, to grasp hold of. That is, uh, the generation who built our nation went through the First World War as children, the Depression as young people, then the Second World War, then they came back in the 50s and 60s, 40s, 50s, and rebuilt the nation. Mm -hmm. um, they were cultural Christians, almost to a man and woman. Uh, uh, and Australia was monoculturally uh, cultural Christian. Uh, the divisions were ethnic divisions. They were kind Scottish of... Scottish Presbyterians. Scots were Presbyterians, Germans were Lutherans, Irish were Roman Catholics, mm -hmm. Northern Irish were Presbyterians, the English were Anglicans. And you were in a club, a denominational club, and you went, depending on how much the club required you to go, you contributed, you, and 
we were just divided between these markers. And there was a, a major marker of Protestant versus Catholic mm -hmm. as a major marker. Uh, the Protestant was very heavily um, Masonic mm -hmm. as a way. The fact that it was Masonic showed that it really wasn't a theological Christian difference. It was a club. Mm. You're either in one club or you're in the other club. So I'm just thinking about when I read John Wesley's biography, um, mm -hmm. he spoke of being a Church of England minister for 15, 20 years before he was born again. Do you know? Yes. Do you think many of the Protestant ministers of that generation and earlier generations weren't born again? Yes. Well, I don't know. It's only under God that a person actually knows. But they didn't preach being regenerated necessarily. Uh, there were there were clearly evangelical clergy, mm -hmm. but they were uh, generally in the minority in their denominations. They were in the majority in, say, the Baptists. Mm -hmm. They were very heavily there. But the Methodists, who used to be like that in the 19th century, in the 20th century, less and less. The theological colleges uh, varied. Um, so more college would continue to encourage that from the time of T.C. Hammond onwards, mm -hmm. whereas Morpeth College would be would decry such a phrase. Up in Newcastle. Up in Newcastle, yeah. yes. And uh, the one in Brisbane, the one in Adelaide, they would always they'd reject that kind of evangelicalism. Mm. In Melbourne, there are two big theological colleges of the time for the Anglicans I'm just talking of, Trinity College, which would be anti-evangelical, and Ridley College, which would be evangelical. Mm. And so, uh, when you say the majority of clergy, I mean, I don't know the numbers, but that you had unconverted clergy, um, yeah, that happened yep. in denominations, in some denominations more than others. Mm. 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 I mean, I remember John Chapman talking about um, a prayer meeting preparing for the Billy Graham crusade, or a, uh, a training meeting preparing for the Billy Graham crusade, and he thought the bishop was converted at that moment. Um, uh, the Archdeacon. The Archdeacon, right, mm. yeah. Yeah, mm. yeah, that's right. That's, that's, uh, it didn't happen often enough for us, but uh, it certainly did happen from mm. time to time. And so the Billy Graham Crusade really was an earthquake in Christianity in Australia in the 1960s. Well, throughout the 40s, 50s, there were many, evangelical, many evangelistic programs being mm -hmm. run and lots of, of speakers came across. Hiram Appleby, whom you've never heard of, you see. Mm -hmm. he, he came and ran missions. And there are all kinds of these missions happening. The evangelicals were alive and awake and were a growing force uh, within the different denominations. Mm -hmm. um, some, like the Baptist brethren, they were evangelical. Others, like the Anglicans in Sydney, the evangelicals were of growing force because T.C. Hammond at Moore College and uh, the, the archbishops uh, of Howard Mole and, uh, were promoting evangelicalism. Uh, at the same time, other parts like Melbourne, uh, the evangelicals who were very strong in the 40s and 50s declined mm -hmm. during that period of time. So the evangelicals were always there and were growing under God through that period. In the 50s, they, at the end of the 50s, 59, um, they suddenly put their head above the parapets and could be seen because the Billy Graham crusade united them all. Mm -hmm. They all gathered together, Salvation Army, um, Methodists, everybody got together who was evangelical and then they suddenly people woke up to the fact Actually, there's a lot of evangelicals mm. in this in in Australia and in Sydney. Mm. Um, 
and it had a big impact in terms of lots of people getting converted, mm. yeah. including you, including me. Yeah, um, it didn't though stop the the cultural swing of the nineteen sixties. No, no, no. A way of capturing it is in 1959, 150,000 people or whatever it is went to hear Billy Graham in Sydney. 1963, 150,000 went to hear the Beatles. Mm -hmm. um, uh, the Beatles were, uh, at, at that point, uh, promoting and practising a degeneracy which was as anti-Christian as could be. Mm -hmm. um, that you we can just think about the lyrics of Imagine. Yes, <laughs> which came a little later, but yeah. yes. But that swing yeah. uh, in five years took everybody by complete surprise. Mm. Um, it, it had to do with the baby boomers coming of age. Um, that uh, by, you see, the, the baby boomers start in 1946. So by 1966, you've got them 20 years old. Mm -hmm. So 1964, you've got them 18 years old. So you're starting to get this huge movement through of young adults, and they are in rebellion and rejection of their parents' generation. It was, it almost was a recipe of, this is what dad and mum want, I want the opposite. Mm -hmm. you, you defined it. They, they like wearing nice trousers, I'll wear jeans. They like short hair, I'm wearing long hair. They, it was yeah. just whatever they liked. And this sense of youthful rebellion against the parents um, uh, was to change culture at almost any and every point uh, in, in Australia. Yeah, not every point. Uh, cricket didn't undergo much change. <laughs> until the end of the century, when I think it's, it's uh, changed significantly. But well, even the idea of it was the baby boomers who um, brought in one day cricket under Packer. Mm -hmm. yeah. So even at that point, there was a, there was a rejection of the, the kind of life. I mean, it's a, it's a classic. People say, well, do you want to go back to the 1950s? And I say, the only people who asked that weren't there. <laughs> right, right. It's, it's a daft silly question, uh, really. You can't go back to the 1950s, even if you wanted to. But captured in that idea is everything of our parents' generation is, is un, un, we don't want it. We get rid of it. Mm -hmm. Asking the question or challenging the idea that someone would want to go back to the 1950s, why do they say, do you want to go back to the 1930s? Why do they say, do you want to go back to the 1970s? They always say, you wouldn't want to go back to the 1950s. Because the 1950s the way, is the epitome of everything they hated. Because that's what a baby boomer doesn't want to do. That's exactly right. <laughs> Exactly. Okay, what did it do? I don't uh, want to go back there, by the way. Right. <laughs> you know, the 1950s, we didn't have a refrigerator. We See, didn't have a car. I mean, they were awful times. But the cultural Christianity, because it wasn't actually built on regeneracy, didn't have the legs to stand no, up. It couldn't. That's right. Didn't have intellectual legs, didn't have spiritual legs, wasn't actually authentic. It was rightly captured as hypocritical. Very sadly. Um, I mean, you would go to a prayer book service as an Anglican and you'd hear great Christian truths being taught. You'd have lots of the Bible being read. But it was a formula you went through. Those who were converted heard the gospel in it. But the vast majority who went to it, went to it because, well, that's what you did when you went to church. That mm -hmm. was fulfilling your kind of social obligation. Um, it, it, it wasn't a meaningful experience of understanding 
the gospel. They couldn't explain to you the way of salvation, even though you hear it in church every Sunday. Mm -hmm. um, uh, it just it, it wasn't part of um, their real intellectual heartfelt commitment. It was what you did. See, churches were the only thing open on Sunday. Mm. There was not even any organised sport, not even organised amateur sport. Didn't exist. Everything shut at Saturday, 12 o'clock, and opened again Monday um, at 9 o'clock. Mm -hmm. And so Saturday afternoon was the sports day, Sunday was the lie in bed, read the newspapers, and go to church day. That, that. And we didn't have the motor cars to be able to travel around the whole of city. You could only, you know, many of us could only walk around the, the suburb we lived in, and the only thing open in your suburb was your church. Okay, so we want to chase through this strand of battered around Christianity, trying to work out what to do next with the 60s going on underneath and the Beatles soundtrack. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, once wealth, television, uh, the baby boomers, there's a whole string of things that combine together mm -hmm. to make church no longer something attractive and the the uh, cultural Christians when given an alternative fairly readily fell aside mm -hmm. it was quite quite interesting um, there was a, a television series on Sunday nights and when it came on see although television started 56 most people didn't have television until the early 60s mm -hmm. television very expensive in 56 um, and so, but once the 1960s were underway, television was in the lounge room and there were great movies on Sunday night and Sunday night church attendance dissipated. In, I, I, it'd be interesting to look at the figures, but my guess is in a 12, 18 month period, church going just dropped out um, because there was an alternative. Mm. You didn't have to go. Mm. <laughs> Why would you go when you've got a nice movie at home? Mm. And you've just paid all this money for this television set, so you stay yep. at home with your family. In fact, walking around the suburb disappeared. Uh, eating meals at the table disappeared. Yeah, because you're eating <laughs> oh, on the lounge in front of the on TV. On the lounge in front of the television, eating yep. off your knee. Yep. It was a, a world of changes happened. I just, um, I, I couldn't remember what I was doing when I was four um, <laughs> with the moon landing. Yes. <laughs> and so I, I thought, why can't I remember this moment? And so I... Yeah. I emailed my parents and said um did did you wake me up to and they've sent me a photo of me as a four-year-old in front of the tv not on the moon landing day <laughs> but we did have yeah. a tv in 69 yes 69 <laughs> you would yes yeah but yeah. um but i'm imagining only wealthier people than us had a tv in 64 yeah uh 64 would be pretty common pretty common right yeah um but uh, 59 it wasn't, wasn't yeah no, okay. no it was uh, um, you had to have big aerials put up on your roof they cost money to put up mm. in fact when television first came out we used to sit we used to go down the street and stand outside the television uh, shop the electrical shop and watch in the window mm. uh, to see it and it, it took a while to come but when it came it swept the field in, in the same way that the phone does today, you get on a train today, everybody's Everyone's on a phone. phone. Yeah, that's an extraordinary thing. Um, but ha ha denominationally, what happened? What, did, what was going on well, with the Christians? As nominal Christianity fell away, evangelicals like myself rejoiced 
because we took control of our own churches. Instead of churches being run by uh, the local Masonic Lodge, it was now run by Bible-believing Christians. Mm -hmm. And we thought this was a good thing. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and it was. But we also lost touch with the community as a whole. So when I was a child in the 40s and early 50s, and the 50s, the Sunday school was the Sunday school of the local suburb. Mm. Everybody in my school went to Sunday school, except the Jews who went to Saturday school. But everyone went. Whereas today, Sunday school is for the children of congregation members. Mm. Very, very mm. different thing. So we had hundreds in Sunday school, mm. hundreds and hundreds. We were a little church, an unimportant, kind of insignificant parish church. But we still had 350 children in Sunday yeah, school. In this church, the little <laughs> church had 300 in yeah. Sunday school. Yeah. Yes, that was just normal. Because, in fact, the cartoons, Fatty Finn and Ginger Meggs, the, who were naughty little boys, Australian boys, mm. were always playing truancy from Sunday school. Right. <laughs> Sunday school was part of the, the culture yeah, yeah, yeah. that you're in. And so uh, the, the, the very nature of our society was church-based, but... It wasn't until I was converted that I understood what they were talking about in Sunday school. Mm -hmm. As a child, I went to school. I learnt my times tables. I learned how to spell words. I had no idea what the times tables were, what you used them for, whether you just did what you were told. You learnt them. Mm -hmm. I went to Sunday school. They taught me Bible verses. They taught me songs to sing. Mm. No idea what it meant. Mm. When I got converted, ah, oh, Jesus died for me. Mm. <laughs> Mm. <laughs> you know, Jesus rose from the dead. He's the king. It all suddenly made sense. I was only saying what I'd been saying before, but I now knew what I was saying. Mm. But most people weren't converted. So they just... And they forgot the stories as their old time. Now, when they stopped going to church, they still sent their kids along. But after a while, the kids thought, well, that's hypocritical. If you're not willing to come, why am I going? Mm -hmm. And so part of the rejection of the adult ge generation's hypocrisy was to throw in the towel on church. Sunday school. Yeah. Sunday school, youth groups. It took a little while to happen, but it steadily happened. Talk to me about the amalgamation of denominations and the uniting church. Because we, what is that, 42 years ago, something like that? 77? 70 years, something like that. Um, well, there were several reactions to the collapse in numbers. Uh, uh, one was a liberal reaction, another was a, a, a Pentecostal reaction, another was the evangelical reaction, and then there was the non-reaction. Okay. The well, liberal one first. Liberal <laughs> ones first. Okay. We're obviously not holding our young people. We need to change our method and our message to make it more appropriate for the new age mm -hmm. that we're in. And so the... In the Sydney scene, the Presbyterians, Congregationalists and Methodists had been training together for most of the 20th century, if I remember correctly, and had already imbibed liberal theology. And so it was easy for them to then set up programs for young people which, which reflected much more the culture of their day. So their youth groups would run a dance. Right. Whereas... A good evangelical youth group would never run a dance. We're not even sure we'd go to a dance, but we certainly wouldn't run one. Right. But that's just symbolic of the program. It was the message also that there was just more and more acceptance of the world's new message. Uh, 
because of their clergy being trained together, they then formed this new denomination called the Uniting Church of Australia, which had as its theological basis an agreement on things that were mutually contradictory. That is, th theological agreement was really diversity. And so you could believe most things and be members of this church. Well, liberalism doesn't work because if coming to this church is the same as the message of the world, why would they go to the church? Mm. <laughs> they stay in the mm. world. And so it's a counterproductive approach to say, no, you don't have to believe in things like you know, Jesus dying on the cross for your sins to pay for a wrathful God. We don't have a wrathful God. We just have a loving God. We just have a loving Jesus. We just got to love each other. I remember one of their bases of the union statements was that um, the Bible contains the word of God rather than being the word of yes. God. Yes, that know. means, of course, any bit that I don't like, I can say, so, well, that's, that's not the word that's of not God. not the word of God bit, yeah. you see. And so the Uniting Church... Um, uh, was an inevitable failure from the beginning in terms of preserving the gospel, but more important, which is that's the most important, but consequentially actually growing in numbers. Mm. And so it's been dying ever since it was formed. Uh, as it, members have got older and older and older, its ministers have got fewer and fewer, and it is the... Liberalism doesn't work. Now, you say the Uniting Church... But I can point to you Anglican churches that have gone made the same, same choice, same yeah. choice, or, or Baptist churches that made the choice, or mm. all kinds of people made that choice of let's soften the message in the hope that this will make us more acceptable to the world. Mm. But it never worked. And so the churches that have embraced feminism have all declined. The argument always has been... If you embrace feminism, well, then the women will come to this church. But no, if you embrace feminism, then there's no reason to anyone to go to church. You might as well stay at home and be a feminist. Mm. Okay. <laughs> it doesn't work. Liberalism, Pentecostal reaction. Oh, the so, Pentecostal reaction, see, the 1960s was the high watermark of science, uh, the landing on the moon. Mm -hmm. It was Everything was science. You had to be a science to be of any value. Uh, when I went to university, I, I was doing arts. And uh, I remember every subject, the first few weeks, the lecturers would argue that our subject is a science. So I did history, and they told me that history was a science. I did English, they told me English was a science. You know, it, it was patently absurd. But unless you're a science, you're a nothing, because science is the only way in which anybody can know anything. Mm -hmm. uh, so the, the, the cultural Christianity was being attacked by science. And science was saying that Christianity is silly. So what do you do about it? Well, see, the liberal goes down, yes, science. And we get rid of all the bits of the Bible that don't fit in with science. The Pentecostals went the exact opposite direction. You only know of God when you see a miracle, when mm -hmm. you see science unable to explain it, when you see... And so we now are in to the miracle country, the, the abnormal, the, 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 the irrational, if you like, is necessary. So you speak in tongues or you have healings without, uh, uh, without any medications mm -hmm. or you, uh, you have um, each of the Pentecostal things has been you know, the, the Toronto blessing where I've, people I've fall around crying yeah. on the floor and laughing. And I've watched you over the years interact with, I mean, I remember the... Um, the John Wimber movement of the 80s. Oh, yes, you know? yeah. And 
and and actually and the big Pentecostal churches in Sydney were right into that. Mm-hmm. And then, then there's been the prosperity gospel version, you know. And and now it seems to me that, um, I mean, it seems to me the prosperity gospel was a completely different Jesus. Uh, mm-hmm. It was a, a Jesus of, who promises you health, wealth and prosperity mm-hmm. um, rather than a walk up to the cross. Um, but now it feels like the Pentecostal churches are, well, they're, they're kind of just, they're preaching the same Jesus, but a Jesus light. Do you know? Do you want to comment on that? Yes, yeah. it can be. I mean, uh, yes, I, I think second generation, third generation Pentecostal charismatic movement now mm. is is now starting to try and work out who it is and where it's going. It was easier back in the nineteen sixties. Uh, you spoke in tongues, mm-hmm. right? You suspended normal behaviour of speech and spoke in tongues. That that was the mark of it. I don't hear as much about speaking in tongues these no. days. And in the big Pentecostal churches now, they don't have a moment of that yeah. in the middle of their services. Yeah. So yeah. things have, have, have shifted. But there's always been this idea, this trajectory of power. They, We felt powerless as our culture walked away from Christianity. And this gives me the power. One of the phrases you used to use was out of, one, out of Acts, you know, power to witness. And that enabled you... You can power to witness when you can do miracles, when you can do signs and wonders, when you can do things, when this is the way to grow rich, when God will bless you in your business. It's still another form of this power religion uh, that is always there. That's why you've got to have big numbers. That's why you can have massive television screens out the front and big bands and all the rest of it because power has to be demonstrated to be found in the gospel. I spoke to a woman recently who was uh, converted. Uh, she'd grown up as Pentecostal. See, um, the 1960s, had, no one grew up as Pentecostals because the Assemblies of God denomination from the beginning of the 20th century was a, a minor offshoot that no one had much to do with. Now you've got people who have grown up in Pentecostalism. Yeah. Uh, she got converted in her 20s, having been an active Pentecostal member all those days. When she talked to me about it, she said, yes, <laughs> in all her days, she knew with Jesus you could have a fulfilled life, a satisfied life, a happy life, a, a worthwhile life. But when she went to a church that taught the Bible, she found out about with Jesus you can be forgiven of your sins. Mm. Now, every charismatic I know, minister I know, believes with Jesus you can be forgiven your sins. But the church she went to, and I think it's true of many, they do not like to say anything negative because you catch more flies with honey than you do with, with vinegar. You, you, you need to be positive. You need to say the positive things. You need to be... Well, and that's why you wind up with what you call the Jesus light. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because he gives you satisfaction. He gives you happiness. He gives you fulfilment. But he doesn't actually deal with the wrath of God who is angry with your sinfulness. Yeah. Because that, that's, that's a very negative message. Even if... It's a very positive outcome, namely the wrath of God is turned aside by the death of Jesus on your behalf. Mm-hmm. But it, it's we don't want to preach hell. Mm. Okay, we've gone liberal mm. reaction, Pentecostal reaction, mm. evangelical reaction. Um, uh, I, I think uh, the evangelical reaction uh, was a strange one in that we were making great progress and then the Pentecostal charismatic. It wasn't. It was called the neo-Pentecostal. 
because there was the old Pentecostal. So it was the new Pentecostal movement, which aimed at mainstream Christianity to try and get them to come to a spiritual awakening. Mainstream Christianity needed a spiritual sure, awakening. So I don't think we disagree with them on that. But I don't think the spiritual awakening happens by miraculous miracles. <laughs> it's the miracle of rebirth that comes from the gospel. However, in, in their uh, critique of mainstream Christianity, uh, the evangelicals had played, I think, fast and loose with the word of God and had been heavily involved in trying to evangelise mainstream Christianity by being mainstream. So at things like beach missions or in the evangelical unions at university, we got on well with each other across denominations. But when we went back into our own denomination, an evangelical Presbyterian would be as Presbyterian as Presbyterian, and evangelical Anglican would be prayer book man and 39 articles man. Uh -huh because we were trying to win our denominations across. Yep. And we didn't really work hard enough on what the scriptures were saying in critique of our denomination, in critique of cultural Christianity. Uh, I mean, we fitted into cultural Christianity. It was a comfortable existence to being an Australian Christian because the kinds of morality I was taught at school was consistent with the morality I was taught in church. Mm. So I never critiqued the fact that the morality at school came from a different world philosophical worldview. Yep. <laughs> I just mm -hmm. accepted it, you yep. see. And I just found Bible verses that fitted. Um, uh, the evangelicals, though, then, under, I think, the leadership of some very fine men across Australia, got us to go back and look at the Bible itself to see what the worldview is that we should have. And so we became much better... Uh, exegetes of the scriptures. That was a, a huge shift. Uh, it seems to me, that, I mean, a rescuing point was actually to just move to systematical Bible teaching across the yes, board. Yes, uh, And away from sort of the lectionary. Away from the lectionary. See, the, the lectionary was a medieval form of a church year. Uh, it was good in the medieval period, but it was kind of irrelevant to where we were oh. today. Um, uh, and our Bible preaching was a verse here and a verse there, uh, picking the favourite promises. Um, people like Broughton Knox at Moore College taught that we had to expound the scriptures. And then people like John Stott came into the land and expounded the scriptures. Mm -hmm. And I remember Chapo saying that when he heard John Stott preach, he went back up to Moree, got all his sermons, ripped them up, threw them away and started all over again because he now understood what Broughton had taught him. Broughton had said he had to expound the scriptures, but he didn't know what to do or how to do it. Yep. When he heard John Stott do it, he knew what to do. I've got to pick two Timothy and work <laughs> through it. <laughs> yeah. And so he and then another great man, Dudley Ford, uh, who again grasped it and understood it, um, set up a preacher's school in Sydney and all the clergy were taken to the preacher's school and retrained in how to preach mm -hmm. expositionally from the scriptures. And so the Bible became much more central to the evangelicals. Theoretically, it had always been, but now it, in fact, it was. was. Yeah. Okay, big to, change. To today's fights. Um, but yeah. the, other, the other reaction, the non-reaction, is the big one. Okay. That is, there's a whole group of churches that just said, no, we've got to stick with our culture. And so 
They enjoy the cultural wars, so-called, mm -hmm. but they just said, no, I, I just be what I've always been and it will come good in due time. And those denominations are dying at the rate of knots. Yeah. So Anglicanism, outside of evangelical Anglicanism, is or Pentecostal Anglicanism, is death. Yeah. And they're, they, you know, they're selling up the properties. Yeah. <laughs> they have very few candidates in ministry. Their theological colleges have closed down. Uh, the standard of the clergy is, is steadily dropping. Um, uh, you know, you now have uh, local priests who will celebrate the Lord's Supper, but actually are working as the local chemist. Um, it, it's managed decline mm. is what the the denomination in England has done, across the world has done. Um, worse still, that kind of cultural Christianity, in order to maintain itself, has embraced liberalism as well. So the 19th century Anglo-Catholic movement became the 20th century liberal Catholic mm -hmm. movement, whereby you have all the bells and smells and none of the Jesus. <laughs> you, can, you can celebrate the, the real presence of the Lord Jesus Christ in the sacrament, though you believe that he's still in the grave. Mm. So it's the real presence of the real absence. <laughs> it's a complete nonsense, you see. So, so what's, the, what's the strategy then for the evangelical to just wait till those guys just dissolve? You know? Well, uh, in, in the Anglican world, yeah. um, uh, you see, it's, it's different in all of them. The Presbyterians fought a great fight in the Uniting Church business and one third of them stayed out and mm -hmm. revived Presbyterianism yeah, as a genuine well, yeah. evangelical Bible-believing denomination in yeah. our land. The Anglicans, <laughs> well, compromise has been the nature. It's been our middle name for a long time. And um, just surviving with each other when we don't actually get along with each other has been the norm for a long time. Will it ever come to a head where we say enough is enough you it go it feels like quite a few people are saying peace in our time peace in our time yeah. you think, well i know how that ended <laughs> yeah well it's in jeremiah too peace peace when there is yeah. no peace <laughs> yeah. and it's it's now and since the ordination of women issue in the early 1990s where we said if you do this you will divide the church um now they went ahead and did it um if it was the right thing to do they should have done it whether it was going to divide the church or not but yeah. they denied that it would divide the church. But it has. Mm. So there are dioceses of Australia which would not really recognise me as an ordained Anglican minister. They wouldn't accept me to work in their churches mm -hmm. because of my views. And there are dioceses... That you wouldn't are, accept, yeah. Yeah, there mm. are people who would... So there's no go zones. Mm. Well, so we really do have two different denominations yes. under the same umbrella. That's right. And actually, with the trajectory on same-sex marriage, it's going to be even more explicit Could well that, be. that the minimum is that there are two different denominations within the same umbrella, but the more likely scenario is somehow or other we've got to work out how to divide up the furniture. That could be. The dividing the furniture is a ridiculous place in which to wind up fighting, but sadly, uh, across the world, uh, in North America and so on, that's where we've seen mm. it done. People fighting over property. And then when, once we've seen the furniture divided, we've seen the Bible guys growing yes. and the, the other blokes, we've seen, and whole denominations, the, the, mm. the new Bible denomination grow 
and the other guys just decline and drizzle. Culturalism dies. Cultural Christianity is death. <laughs> so if you're going to go that road, you, it's just a way to decline to nothing. Liberalism declines to nothing. So if you're a, a liberal cultural Christian, <laughs> there is no future mm. in that. I mean, apart from my view being that it's completely wrong, there's no, there's no practical future in it. It's just, you know, if you're a businessman, that is not where you'd put your investment. Mm. Why would you bother going to a culture that the rest of the world has left behind in order to believe a message that the world is already believing? It, there's no reason to go to church. We've gone over time, so on that Sorry cheerful note... <laughs> God is at work is the cheerful note. <laughs> and he continues to work despite all our problems. You've been with us on The Pastor's Heart and my guest has been Philip Jensen and uh, we will look forward to you joining us next week when Lionel Windsor will be with us. Hey, if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, we would love it if you could hop over to the Apple Podcasts app and give us a rating and review. That helps us in the rankings and lets other people discover the pastor's heart. And again, if you are able to help us out by being a financial partner, go to our Patreon link, patreon.com slash the pastor's heart.